This is all theater. This is all just political theater. Political theater. Political theater. Pure political theater. Theater. Political theater. The nefarious, significant, and protracted political, political, political theater for political theater's sake. I yield back. From Washington, this is Political Theater. Roll Call's review of the spectacle of politics on Capitol Hill and across the country. I'm Jason Dick. It is perhaps appropriate that Elbridge Gerry is the only founding father who is buried in Washington, D.C.'s Congressional Cemetery. After all, it is his legacy, gerrymandering, or the drawing of congressional maps to give an advantage to one particular political party, that defines so much of our politics, particularly on Capitol Hill. The process has been around a while, since at least Gary's time, but it went into overdrive in the last decade, and that led to a lot of questions about how folks felt about politicians picking their voters rather than voters picking their politicians. Here to talk about gerrymandering and particularly their documentary, Slay the Dragon, are filmmakers Barrett Goodman and Chris Durrance, as well as Katie Fahey, one of the subjects of the film. All three of you, welcome to Political Theater. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Thank you. Uh, let's start with you, Barrick. You, um, you know, the you've got a, a fairly big, you know, sort of filmography, documentaries. Um, what what made you think like this was the time that you wanted to jump into gerrymandering? Because gerrymandering is certainly you make this point in in, in your film that that this, it's picked up a little steam in recent years. But ha- what was it that made you think like this is the time to do this? We got into it before it picked up steam, but but I didn't really know what gerrymandering was at, at the beginning. I read a book by a guy named David Daly, who's an amazing reporter <clears throat> and, and writer, and it really unpacked some of the kind of underlying structural problems in our democracy that have led to the extreme polarization that we're seeing and the extreme gridlock and the dysfunction. I was, like a lot of people, just really at a loss as to how we got here. What what was it that brought us to this place where we can't seem to get anything done? Our politicians just seem completely out of touch with voters. And Dave's book really unlocked a lot of that. So we went to him immediately, said we wanted to do this film, and that was the beginning. Well, and uh, correct me if I'm wrong, Chris, but like, you know, the, the Chris, Barrick, you two have been working in political journalism for years. Um, you know, you had a nice conversation with our executive producer about some of the people you knew in political journalism uh, as well. Um, this speaks to how how tough a topic this can be, especially to to document it for a film. If like you guys who have decades of experience covering this stuff are like, wait, what exactly are they doing? Uh, talk about that a little bit, Chris. Absolutely. I mean, this is this is something that hides in plain sight and. As you dig into it, you realize that that is precisely the point. That's why it's so so effective, a, a, a political tool for, for taking control and keeping control. It happens every 10 years. You have the census and, every, and then you have redistricting. For us, it was, it was – but it was still an eye-opener. It was a, a major eye-opener to realize how pernicious and how pervasive – and how powerful an impact it could have on politics. You win state legislation in 2010, you get to draw the new maps that control all the elections over the next decade. The winner is predecided just by the way that the districts are drawn. And you really can look at Wisconsin, you can look at Pennsylvania, you can look at North Carolina, and then and you can look at the House of Representatives. And these are bodies that are utterly defined by gerrymandering. And then, and as a consequence, as a, all the laws that come out of them when you look at bathroom bills, when you look at action on gun rights, when you look at inaction on topics that many people care about, 
And uh, then the Flint water crisis, which was the place that we decided to start the film, again, defined by gerrymandering, enabled by gerrymandering. And Katie, I mean, you are, for, for lack of really of better terms, you're, you're the protagonist of, of this film, uh, you know, one of, one of the main ones. I mean, there are several people who, who make, appear- make appearances and are documented in their efforts to, to address uh, gerrymandering. Um, as a citizen, uh, when, when did you learn, you know, when did, when did this start to, like, make its impact on you or make you think that, like, yes, I'd like to have a camera stuck in my face for the next few <laughs> years as, as, as uh, this, this happens? I mean, um, where it was like, I mean, we all have this sort of vague idea that gerrymandering is one political party drawing, you know, legislative or congressional districts to their advantage. But when did you realize, whoa, this is a big deal? Yeah. So I remember learning about it in like fourth grade. And then uh, it was like right after you learn about the American Revolution and asking my teacher, like, if we know that this is screwed up, like, why aren't we doing anything about it? And she said something. I, we should also know that you are from Michigan. I'm from uh, Michigan. Uh, yes. yes. <laughs> I, 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 I should know that, and which is one of the states that is, is uh, you know, a very important part of this film. Uh, and and you're, you're from, you know, like – like, again, this battleground state. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I remember her saying that, um, you know, it's just always been done this way. And so that's why nothing changes. And as I started growing up and um, going to college, my background is not in politics. It's in grocery store sustainability, uh, environmental and social oriented practices, but starting to really listen to, you know, the day-to-day journalism around politics in Michigan and kept being frustrated by how our government was so out of touch with people and how these really extreme decisions were being made. We had a um, all Republican state house, state Senate and governor. And our governor had to keep being kind of like this moderate to be like, hey, guys, like this is not what the people of Michigan want. It was a really interesting dynamic. And I do think that the Flint water crisis, even for me personally, was one of those points where you had seen leadership. Um, the people of Michigan actually tried to repeal this emergency manager law, and we were successful. You know, petitioned to get rid of it, voted on it. And then our newly elected officials, like one of the first things they do is find a loophole in the citizen veto, basically, and reinstate this bill. And then setting this precedent that any bill that they pass, they can make voter proof by just adding even $1 of appropriations from our state budget to it. And so then you start seeing this wave of bills with literally just like a dollar attached to it so that citizens have no check and balance on their politicians. And especially seeing the lack of response to Flint, I, as somebody who was just out of college, I kept going to work and just being like, what? Like, this is America? This is Michigan? This is like the 21st century? How? And and how can I keep going about my daily life knowing that there's an entire city of like children and families who have been poisoned and nobody's doing anything about it? And so that's when I think I kind of thought, well, I'll try. Erica, when when you're constructing a film, especially a documentary that you're going to be filming over several years, you don't know that you'll have a subject who will take to it to the film as as well as Katie does in, in representing sort of the average citizen and average citizen who gets kind of pissed off and 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 actually wants to, you know, like make a difference and change things. Um, and and you, you see this a little bit in the film that you 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 cover a, several different states that are representative, um, but you do begin, as Katie says, you do begin with the Flint water crisis. Why don't you talk just a little bit about that decision and and the connection you make between the crisis in Flint and gerrymandering in Michigan at the legislative state legislative level? Well, we wanted to bring home the consequences. We wanted people to understand that this is not just some sort of civics weird civics book kind of 
anomaly, that this has a direct impact on people's lives. And, and Flint really illustrated it. As Katie said, you had this incredibly anti undemocratic process going on where emergency managers were making just terrible decisions on behalf of the people of Flint. And there was no recourse because they had no jeopardy at the ballot box. There was no way they were going to lose their seats. So they didn't care what the people thought. So it's a particularly good example. Now, the fact is that we had already found Katie. Uh, Katie and Katie's group of amazing you know, colleagues and collaborators in this movement in Michigan were a natural story for us. I mean, the minute you meet Katie, you might be able to tell already, this is infectious energy. There's this amazing sort of, you know, gra- real true grassroots spirit that we gravitated towards immediately. It was, it was sort of a David and Goliath story. It was the people versus the politicians. And that's the name of, of Katie's group, voters, not politicians. So you had this example, this battle between a true democratic process, a grassroots effort on the, on, by citizens, on behalf of citizens, against entrenched, moneyed interests who are trying to hold on to power. It was a perfect paradigm of the bigger story. So it was natural for us. We, we jumped on board really early. We didn't know if they would win. It was an incredible gamble, honestly. We didn't kind of fully understand the, the, the risk we were taking, but, but it turned out to be a fantastic story. It's the heart of the film. I've, I've seen, I've wondered about the anxiety that filmmakers and writers must feel on, with some of these documentaries. Um, last year we had the uh, Knock Down the House uh, filmmakers in, and, and you know, m- most all the candidates that they covered, you know, for that documentary lost, but then Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez <laughs> did win. But if she hadn't won, yeah. like, how do you say like, hey, Netflix, it's still a really good movie, exactly. even though everybody loses, <laughs> like they're really compelling characters. They're like, yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah, they had no money. Uh, voters, not politicians had no money. There was an immense pressure. We didn't even know if they would make it through to the ballot, you know, they had they had to raise signatures. They had, to, they had so many hurdles they had to get through to to even get to the November election day. We had no clue whether they would or not. Our working assumption was that they probably wouldn't. Um, so we had other stories as well that were, you know, that we were banking on too. But this one just kept going and kept going. And as they kept going, we kept filming. And then it it just it forced itself into the into the, to the heart of the film. And just to outline some of the other storylines that are in in the film, um, I mean, you you cover also Wisconsin uh, and some of the after effects of um, gerrymandering, registering there with Scott Walker. Uh, you cover North Carolina. Um, one of the one of the people you follow in North Carolina, uh, Congressman Mark Meadows, is the incoming White House Chief of Staff. Uh, <laughs> that the president made that announcement over the, over the weekend. Uh, you, you cover some parts of Pennsylvania too. So. Um, Chris, this is like several years we're talking about. I mean, like this, this. So this started really. I mean, when when did you all start principal photography or or, or editing or gathering? Uh, because some of this dates back to two thousand eight. You say this, you know, when the autopsies were being written for the Republican Party after Barack Obama. That's when Red Map uh, got started. But when did when did your film start getting made? So we started in in pretty early in twenty sixteen. Okay. So after the election, and Dave Daly's book comes out, as Barack said. And it answered a lot of questions for us, and we just got right on it. Uh, fortunately, we had this wonderful partner in, in Participant Media, which is a company that not only looks for great stories, but, but looks for, for change-making stories. And, and as soon as Barrack started talking to them about it, they were just left on it. And 
it, it, you know, we started, we, we heard about Katie very early. One of the first scenes where you see them meeting together in a church is one of the, one of the early physical meetings. So There's a lot of online organizing that they've been doing before that, but one of the first physical meetings. So we were very lucky to be in, a, in at the ground floor with them. Just to be clear, we also cover we, the other main story that we're, we cover through the film is a Supreme Court case. It's actually a, a legal challenge to the maps in Wisconsin. Nick Stephanopoulos and his wife, Ruth Greenwood, a, a Chicago law professor, and she's an Australian-born voting rights expert. The two of them are also fantastic characters, welcomed us in. We followed them very early on all through the process. We actually thought they would probably win and Katie's group might, sorry, Katie, might not win. Um, <laughs> and and uh, Popular surprises opinion the all the way around. Right. So that, that, that's and it works. was also, I have to say, on, on that, the reason we were really, and I think many observers were assuming that the Supreme Court case would do very well, was, you know, was the history of this, was the history of challenges to gerrymandering. And, and the indication, it was Justice Kennedy, who was then on the court, had given that you know, there was a path forward. And this was this was a real brain trust that was putting together a fantastic case. Plus, there was I guess there was this just hope in the community. This would have federal implications. Michigan was going to be one state. It was going to be a hugely important state because it's a swing state, but just one state. This court case would change gerrymandering for the whole nation. And so it was, it, it was a, a central part of our film. So, Katie, um, you're—I mean, you do. Uh, I guess spoiler alert, right? I mean, like, <laughs> your, your group does win their ballot initiative. Uh, Michigan will have an independent redistricting com- commission. I'm from Arizona, so I, I have seen this work. You know, in that I mean, most people when they talk to me about Arizona politics, they have this very. Um, you know, this uh, sort of Barry Goldwater cowboy hats and guns and all this kind of stuff and a lot of cactus. Uh, but one of the things that I always try to point out is that Arizona, Arizona, Iowa, California show like how it can work. Um, and, you know, when you look at some of the states, I mean, Arizona is maybe a, a little bit, I think it's a good example because it's not a huge state like California and it's not a small state like Iowa. It's kind of in the in between. And so you have, you have some, st- some districts that are pretty conservative and you've got some that are pretty liberal and then you've got like three states that always swing back and forth according to what's happening politically. So that, that's coming to Michigan. Congratulations uh, on, on your ballot initiative win. Um, we've got the census going on right now. In 2022, we'll have new lines. So even though I'm guessing there was a sense of relief, uh, certainly based on like your, you know, celebrations in the movie, this isn't even over by a long shot for you. How do you feel about that? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What was interesting is almost immediately after in Michigan, we have a lame duck session, meaning that our elected officials who maybe just lost their election actually still get to make laws for like a month. And they immediately started attacking the ballot initiative process saying, oh, citizens, let's make it harder for citizens to be able to even use this process because clearly it was so easy if, you know, it took 14,000 people to pass this one initiative. And then they also started trying to mess with the budget and making other laws related to the bill. Um, we immediately got some court challenges, too, um, against it, which were anticipated. Uh so and then, I mean, the the more positive, exciting, but still challenging part is that for the first time ever, technically 9.9 million people are invited to this process that traditionally has happened behind closed doors once every 10 years with people just making decisions based off of, OK, how can we either screw the Democrats or screw the Republicans? And this time it gets to be about how can we actually get a true representative democracy? How can we have our communities represented in our state capital of Lansing and our communities represented 
in our uh, country's capital of Washington, D.C., and that's super exciting, but nobody's done it before. So talking to people about applying to be on the commission and talking to people about how do you actually give testimony and when this commission comes to your community, how do you say what kind of district you want? It's a ton of education, a really exciting one, um, but still a huge lift uh, for us to be able to continue to make sure that this actually passes because we did not just spend all that time and effort for this to fail. <laughs> and and Barry, I think you and, and Chris do a very good job of, of demonstrating that some of the people who are not so psyched about <laughs> independent redistricting commissions or citizens uh, sort of weighing in on this, you, you really, uh, you, 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 you make some make for some very interesting and good villains, uh, and I think they're all still out there, right? I mean, and some of them even talk to you on uh, for, by, on the film uh, for the we, film. We flushed them out of hiding. Yeah, now, uh, a couple of them are quite proud of what they did. Uh, and Project Red Map was this sort of weaponization of gerrymandering nationally by the Republican Party um, that we cover in the film. And you know, the people behind that did this to put an iron lock on Congress and state legislatures, and they, they succeeded for a decade. And that's a huge feather in their own cap, you know, by, by their own thinking. Um, and when you push them, maybe this isn't the most democratic process in the world. They might grudgingly uh, admit that, but it doesn't really matter because it's a, it's a, it's a zero-sum game. It's a knockdown, drag-out fight for them, and they're winning, and they're proud of that. Some others were a little more cautious, and we couldn't kind of pin them down, but by and large, you know, they they are out there. They're continuing, as Katie said, to fight this fight. You know, there's this guy named Tom Hoffler who appears in the film who is the arch, you know, the, the great guru of gerrymandering. I think somebody describes him as like a country doctor or yeah. something like that, like kind of picking yeah. up his uh, his bag and saying, all right, sweetheart, I'll see you later after yeah. I've yeah. carved right. up North Carolina. If, 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 if inside that bag was, was a cray supercomputer with all right. sorts of, you know, data on on voters but it's it's turned out after he passed away his daughter got a hard drive uh with all his work product on it and it proved beyond a shadow of a doubt contrary to his lifelong denials that he had used all sorts of partisan racial considerations in, in drawing maps and it just kind of you know it was just this moment where everyone was like we knew that we knew this you know it was obvious but it's still so depressing um yeah, the people can be that cynical about about what they do. I, I'll note too um, that the the movie. I think you know a lot of people when they think documentary, they think a lot of talking heads and and sort of somber music and all that kind of stuff. And this, there is, I mean, you 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 can't ever get away necessarily from talking to somebody who's who's an expert, you know, just one on one. But there's a lot of in moment you know, like footage where people are at rallies. Uh, Katie, you're, uh, you know, sort of having some very like tough moments uh, as you're Facebook living to your, you know, to your colleagues uh, and, uh, and, and followers. Um, is, was that a conscious decision that you made that you wanted to have this sort of stuff in the moment and mixed in with archival too from rallies, Chris? Absolutely. I mean, it was important for us to show how we got to where we are today and, and therefore to, to unpack what happened in 2010, what happened, how, how Republicans pushed back against Obama's victory in 2008. But we were making this in 2016 and looking forward to 2018 and 2020. These uh, 2020, as viewers will have guessed, is a hugely consequential year. It's a census year. There's going to be redistricting. The political landscape is going to be changed. But these elections are, for the most part, being fought on the 2010 maps, which are totally rigged. It, and so... 
you just have to get out. And I think for us, then the, the, the message of the film was was not just let's look back at 2010, but let's look forward. Let's look to 2020, see what we can do about it, see Katie's story, see what they've done in Michigan, see what's happened in Arizona and California, and just help get help get politics back on track. Uh, before we go, I do want to mention two big things. One is that Arnold Schwarzenegger is also in your in your in your movie. Uh, like he he gets second billing to Katie. I'm adding it on my resume yeah. that I was in a movie with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Uh, and then also the original release date has been moved to April third. Uh, it is widely believed in the in the world uh, of entertainment and movie making that this pushed the James Bond people uh, out of that slot into November. They were so nervous about competing with Slay the Dragon. <laughs> so congratulations to the three of you. You've intimidated the world's most dangerous man. Well, thank you to the three of you for for walking us through this. This is uh, I, I would encourage particularly our audience to see Slay the Dragon. Uh, it's it's right up our political uh, alleys. And thanks for coming by. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for listening. You can catch up with uh, previous episodes of this podcast wherever you get your podcasts, whether that's Google Play or NPR One, maybe even your smart refrigerator. Thanks for listening. Political Theater is produced by CQ Roll Call, a leader in nonpartisan political and policy news and analysis for more than 70 years. CQ Roll Call is part of Fiscal Note, a global technology and media company.